Britain's Conversation. This is LBC with Tom Swarbrick. Keep your calls coming. Many more of them after five. We'll also talk, too, about the financial and political storm that we've had here this week, the likes of which we've never seen before. But for our friends on the other side of the pond, they've had their own major storm to deal with. On LBC with His American Week, Simon Marks. Tom, cast your mind back a week ago and the pound was taking a hit. The markets were panicked by the Chancellor's tax-cutting mini-budget just unveiled in London. And then, as the depths of sterling's collapse against the dollar unfolded, former US Treasury Secretary Larry Summers weighed in. It would not surprise me if the pound eventually gets below a dollar if the current policy path uh, is maintained. Now, eventually may still be a long way off. Sterling has recovered most of its losses since it hit rock bottom against the dollar in Asian markets on Monday. But Mr. Summers, in that interview with Bloomberg Television, had deeper concerns than just the exchange rate. Makes me very sorry to say I think the UK is behaving a bit like an emerging market turning itself into a submerging uh, market. Governments have learnt the hard way that when Larry Summers speaks, it's wise to listen. The Biden administration batted away his warnings that the White House was creating an inflationary spiral in America, warnings that months later proved very prescient. And the former Treasury Secretary is not the only one here this week who's been sounding the alarm about the UK's direction. So is the International Monetary Fund. Inflation is a tax on the poor. Make sure that support that is provided doesn't go to everybody, that it goes to the people in highest need. That warning in an interview on CNN from IMF Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva was accompanied by a rare and extraordinary IMF rebuke of Kwasi Kwarteng's policies. The fund, which of course bailed Britain out back in the 1970s, accused Liz Truss's government of fueling inequality and called for a tax-cut U-turn by the Chancellor. The week ends without one, and many US government officials will be keeping a close eye both on the markets and on the Conservative Party conference in Birmingham next week, after President Biden tweeted that he was sick and tired of trickle-down economics. It seems that whatever stock Liz Truss may have enjoyed in the corridors of power here is being rapidly frittered away. For much of this week, US government attention was focused on Mother Nature. Hurricane Ian turned out to be everything that forecasters feared. I literally watched my house disappear with everything in it. Mm-hmm. Right before my eyes. Our staff, police, fire, public works, parks got out there and made uh, close to about 200 water rescues. We absolutely expect to have mortality from this hurricane. In terms of confirmed, uh, that will be made apparent over the coming days. One resident of the devastated city of Fort Myers there, followed by the city's police chief, Tracy McMillian, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. At least 21 are dead, but President Biden is warning the nation to prepare for much worse news. This could be the deadliest hurricane in Florida's history. The numbers of still are still unclear, but we're hearing early reports of what may be substantial loss of life. 
The storm is by no means over. It's been strengthening in the Atlantic and is about to make landfall again, this time over Charleston, South Carolina. The hurricane created some unusual bedfellows this week. President Biden found himself having no alternative but to work with Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, a man who could well be the president's rival in the 2024 presidential election. There is no love lost between the two, but Joe Biden yesterday bristled with irritation when he was asked this question. How would you describe your relationship and your conversation with Governor DeSantis? It's totally irrelevant, but I'll answer it, okay? In fact, very fine. He complimented me. He thanked me for the immediate response we had. He told me how much he appreciated it. This is not about whether or anything having to do with our disagreements politically. This is about saving people's lives, homes and businesses. And for possibly the only time in his political career, Governor DeSantis was also complimentary about the Biden White House. The effects of this are going to be broad um, and we appreciate the Biden administration's consideration for the people of Florida. But the storm is for the moment masking deep animus between the two men and that relates to a stunning move made by Governor DeSantis earlier this month on the polarized issue of immigration. 48 migrants were were uh, lured, I will use the word lured, at a certain point they were shuttled to an airplane uh, where they were flown to Florida and then eventually flown to Martha's Vineyard, again under false pretenses is the, the information that we have. Sheriff Javier Salazar in the Texas city of San Antonio announcing a criminal probe into an effort by Governor DeSantis of Florida to fly migrants out of Texas and dump them on the upscale island of Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. It's a summertime playground for prominent elite Democrats. Republicans have made several moves recently to raise the profile of immigration in America's midterm elections this November. Busloads of migrants have been shipped by Republican states to Washington, D.C., some of them even dumped outside the vice president's house. But Governor DeSantis may have boxed too clever by half because trafficking people across state lines comes with all sorts of criminal risk. We've had people on the border for last summer. We've done a lot of intelligence and everyone down there will say between a third and 40 percent of the people coming across uh, are seeking to end up in Florida. The governor's defense that he was proactively protecting his state from undocumented migrants who were living in Texas but craving an opportunity to move to Florida. We have to go and figure out, okay, who are those people likely to be? Uh, and if you can do it at the source and divert to sanctuary jurisdictions, the chance they end up in Florida is much less. Sanctuary jurisdictions, of course, being lily-livered Democrat strongholds that have proclaimed themselves safe spaces for migrants to live. The reaction from Democrats to all of this has been stone-cold fury. Governor Gavin Newsom of California, a presidential aspirant if Joe Biden steps down at the next election, himself crossed state lines to speak at an event in Austin hosted by the Texas Tribune. He comes into another state to try to find pawns in a political game, rounds them up, sends them to an island, and then fundraises off it. What does that say about his character 
in the character of the Republican Party that celebrated that act. Listen to that closely and you can hear a warm-up for 2024. But first, America's politicians must get through next month's midterm elections. And among them is a right-wing Republican seeking to be the next governor of Michigan. Her name is Tudor Dixon, and one of the many false claims she's made on the campaign trail is that teachers in Michigan are allowing pornography to fall into the hands of their pupils. She wants to ban a raft of books in schools, but she won't provide a list of them. So a reporter wanted to know, in her mind, what constitutes a pornographic text. You need me to define pornographic? I mean, I can if you want me to. Alright, so there's, there's two naked people, and they are acting out a sexual act. So in m multiple different sexual acts, do you want me to send you some so you can yeah. see them? Yeah. That would be fine because I feel like it's going to be a little awkward. And to think in my day it used to be on the news agent's top shelf. Now, listen, I know it's not house style, but I'm sending out a dedication at the end of this American week. It became clear around the dinner table that I won't be welcome back at home tonight unless I make mention of Coolio's death on Wednesday in Los Angeles. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of I take a look at my life and realize The hip-hop star died at a friend's house of an apparent heart attack. That track, Gangster's Paradise, made him a household name in the 90s. It was written for Dangerous Minds, a Jerry Bruckheimer movie set in a high school, and no, the kids weren't being given pornography by the teachers. Coolio sampled some Stevie Wonder in there. He was only allowed to do it by agreeing to use no profanity in the song. And you know what, Tom, and I'm not saying saying this just for the domestic street cred, I rather like it. Welcome back to the dinner table from Washington, D.C., LBC's Simon Marks.